Welcome to Grace Community Church On Demand, the weekly podcast from the Sunday services at Grace Community Church in Rupert, Idaho. Here at Grace, we believe in building the kingdom of God one person at a time. We're passionate about loving God, loving people, and following Jesus. Let's get into this week's message with Pastor Travis Turner. We've been in a series called God Knows, and I'm going to continue that here today. This might be the last message of the series. I don't know. Um, We'll know next week, but... um, I wanted to ask a question just to kind of start out today's message. Have you ever been going along in life and everything is going pretty good, you know, perfect, um, you know, you don't have any complaints, everything kind of is just, is just working out, you know, for you and in your best interest, you don't have any issues in the home, and then all of the sudden, somebody say all of the sudden, the unexpected happens. And the unexpected could attack your finances. The unexpected could attack your family. Maybe there was a relationship that's important to you that is just, you know, it's went south. You know, maybe you got a call from a doctor and you've got, uh, you know, like, like Rick was talking about, maybe you've, you know, they bring you back in and you don't know what's wrong, but they say you need to get in here quickly. There's some things we've got to talk about. Come on, you're going along through life and then all of a sudden the unexpected happens and one of the natural responses to the unexpected is this thing called anxiety. Anybody ever dealt with anxiety before in your past? The result of unexpected things brings about anxiety and the definition of anxiety is this. This is right from Webster's. It's a feeling of worry or nervousness, typically about something with an uncertain outcome. I remember when I, when I was uh, just drinking way too much, for me, like one was way too much because it always ended up. Do I have any brothers in the house? Anybody you can relate? It's like when you drink alcohol, it's a bad thing. Like it really turns out badly for you, Rick, just you and me, but all right, just, just the two of us. I'm glad all you others have it all figured out. Um, okay, right here, another friend, brother. One turns into jail. Um, uh, those are my brothers right there. And so, um, but I remember getting arrested for a DUI in, uh, in Boise. This was years and years ago. This wasn't recently. And no, I didn't drink while I was in Tennessee, just in case you're wondering. And no, I didn't get arrested. And thank the Lord we didn't fight or do anything like that. And so, so pastor was good. And, uh, but I remember getting arrested for a DUI. And, um, and, and, and I remember the feelings that I was dealing with. You see, it wasn't the first time I had been arrested. So that wasn't the issue. It wasn't even the second time I, was, I had been arrested. I'm not even going to tell you how many, but it wasn't the first or the second. But yet this, this anxiety, this pressure of being arrested for a DUI, I was thinking in that jail cell with, with not clear thinking because I was completely inebriated, but I was thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to lose my license. Oh my gosh, I'm going to have to get an SR-22 Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Court fees, fines, uh, you know, I don't know how long they're going to keep me in here. 
I mean, it was just a bad situation. I remember being overly, overly anxious. And then I came to a place of, of, of kind of self-evaluation. I was thinking, you know what, is this really, Travis, what your life has become? You know, you're getting, you know, I was like 24, 25, and I, was, I started, you're getting too old for this. I didn't even know what old was back then. Um, but I started to, to, to sell, what did somebody say? <laughs> I still don't, right? <laughs> it gets better? Uh, <clears throat> But I remember thinking that, you know what, I'm not happy with my life, and I, I, say to, I said a prayer, and I said, God, if you can do anything with my life, you can have my life, and immediately the peace of God came into that situation, and my anxiety that I had about the future, come on, it was lifted as well. So I was anxious one second and, and had full confidence and peace the next there was a song that began to play in my mind. It, it went a little something like this. Don't worry about a thing. Because every little thing is going to be all right. Don't worry about a thing. Come on, has anybody ever been there? You've been, I know for a fact I'm talking to people that has lost sleep over one situation or another, and then all of the sudden, come on, you go to the Lord, you begin to cast your cares and your burdens on the Lord, and there's a shift, there's, a, there's something that changes and takes place. You're a mess and a wreck one moment, and you're fine the next moment. I want you to ask yourself, what is your story about anxiety? I just shared you my story about anxiety. Everybody has a story when it comes to anxiety. Have you identified yours? Today I want to look at the 139th Psalm. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn it there. Psalm 139. This is written by David. David is a hero of, of, of my faith. Um, he is, out of all the men in the Bible, he's definitely in the top three, probably number one. I love David so much because he inspires the I'm such an idiot bunch. <laughs> and I can relate to that, that group of people. If you're outside of that bunch, it's okay. But if you're with me, go ahead and say amen. Yeah. Amen. David did some things that he should not have done, but he, but he was faithful in the end and God God forgave him and God used him. Psalm 139 shows us, I want you to read the whole psalm, but it shows us that God's eye is always upon us, that he's always paying attention. He's always looking at us. And so listen, I want you to know that, that God is always looking at Travis. And if you're ever mean to me, if you ever look at me wrong, or if you say bad things about me, I want you to know that God knows me and he likes me. And so you should watch out. You should watch out because his eye is upon me. Come on, 139 verse 7, it says this, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I, where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I go down into the depths, you're there. 
Come on, you're always with me. And then you fast forward to verse 17, which is our main text that we're going to be looking at here today. Verse 17 says, how precious to me you, you know, how precious, David's saying, how precious to me are your thoughts. How vast is the sum of them, meaning that God, you're always thinking about me. If I were to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. God, do I not hate those who hate you? Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Come on, you see, there is a man that is looking externally. He's looking at all of the problems. He's looking at all of the people that are against him, and it's causing anxiety, and he's spending time in his prayer book, in his prayer closet. He's spending some time with the Lord and saying, God, remember, I'm with you, and these people are not and these people are causing issues for me. And so he's looking inward, he's looking outwardly, he's looking externally. But now there's a shift between verse 22 and verse 23. He begins to turn his attention from the external to the internal. I want you to see this. David begins to take responsibility for his own emotions which anxiety is probably one of the biggest emotions he's feeling at this time. Come on, he's, he's moved from saying, it's not my neighbor's fault, it's not my boss's fault, it's not the, the fault of the economy. Do you know that King Saul was out to kill him? He's not saying it's his fault. He's not blaming it on his wife. He's not blaming it up on his children, which is kind of a go-to, right? The wife or the, or the children. What is wrong with you? You just don't seem like yourself. Well, it's these darn kids. Haven't they been in summer camp for 30 days? You know, you're not even around them. And, well, I guess you're, I guess you're right, but it's kind of a go-to. You know, it's this or it's that. And David is saying, you know, he's come to this place of realizing that it's internally, it's not externally. In verse 23, he says, search me. Search me, God, and know my heart. He says, test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. I want to talk to ministry leaders just for a little bit. And you might be questioning, who is a ministry leader? That means somebody that's taken the responsibility Come on, to be a life example for somebody else. Somebody that you've said, listen, I, I want to mentor people. I want to lead people. I want to show people. Paul said it like this, follow me as I follow Christ, right? And so if you're a ministry leader, that means that you've, you've answered the call that God has put on your life. Come on, to serve other people and to teach other people and to lead other people in the ways that you know God would have you to go, amen? So if you're not a ministry leader, you can just put yourself on pause just for a quick second. You don't have to listen to this. But if you are a ministry leader, this is what I want you to do. I want you to, I want you to set the people that you're leading free from 90% of life's drama. 
As a ministry leader, leader, the people that you're leading, you can set them free from 90% of life's drama by teaching them one principle. And that principle is the search me principle. You see, in the church, we are plagued by blaming other people and other situations. Man, how are you doing? Oh, man, you don't have enough time. Life is terrible. It's her fault. It's his fault. It's their fault. My life is in complete chaos. It's a wreck. But I'm telling you what, if you can stop or if you, if you know of somebody that is in a little, you know, a poor little me mode, if you can say, listen, why don't you, why don't you think about looking internally instead of looking externally and see what it is that the Lord is trying to show you. Come on, teach them the search me principle because every single one of us at every single moment in time are going to have things that are happening around us that we wish were different, but it's just life. And so sometimes it's not the event that is the issue. Sometimes it's your thoughts concerning the event that's the issue. That's where we get hung up. And so if you can teach them the search me principle, then you can help relieve 90%, I believe, of the drama that comes from looking externally. What makes you anxious today? Billions of people on the planet deal with anxiety. This is the age of anxiety. This is the age of pressure. Young people by the age of nine and ten years old are dealing with pressure because they're overwhelmed by home situations and friend situations and what is this person and that person think about me. We live in the age of anxiety. David, I think it's interesting, in verse 22 says, kill them, God. All of these people that are against you, all of these people that don't even like you, God, why don't you just rub them out? Why don't you just kill them? Why don't you just get rid of them? Come on, now listen, I've never said a prayer like, God, I wish you would just kill this person. I've never said that prayer, but if I'm gonna be honest with you, which I should be, there have been things that have happened, bad things that have happened to people that have just been a, 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 a terrible to me. And I've just thought to myself, internally, I've never shared it with anybody, now I'm sharing it with you. Internally, I've thought, hey, you probably deserve it. <laughs> it's terrible. But I know probably I'm not the only person in the room this morning that has ever felt like that. But I think David, come on, one of our heroes of the faith, David, he said, kill him, God, get rid of him, God. And then all of a the sudden, there's this shift in verse 23. He says, search me. You see, once again, he realized that it's not the things that are out there that's messing me up, but it's things that are in here, how I'm thinking about the things that are out there that is messing me up. Come on, can I just ask you to con just to consider that for a moment? If you're messed up here today, which I believe this, that, that there is no question you're supposed to be here, maybe because you're dealing with an anxious heart, anxious emotions. Come on, you're here because God wanted you to hear the message, 
you've been blaming everything externally. It's his fault, their fault, you know, the work's fault. And God is, is saying, shh. It, it, that's not the issue. It's what you're allowing come on to play out in your mind that is the issue. Verse 24 says this, I want you to look inside of me, God, and see if there's any offensive way in me. Does anybody here know what a squatter is? A squatter? <laughs> I better give a definition of this. Um, a squatter is anybody that occupies property or a building that doesn't belong to them. And so let's just say you have a piece, in, a piece of, of land that's just kind of vacant and you live in a town, you know, far away from that land and you're going to that piece of property to uh you know to maybe go camping you know you're taking your fifth wheel out there and you're just going to have a wonderful weekend with your family and you're going to your piece of land and then all of a sudden you get to your piece of property and somebody has built like a, a lean-to shack and it looks like they've been there for about eight months you know what i mean they've just they've just kind of taken ownership of your property. That's what a squatter is. It's like, oh, nobody's around here. I'm just going to set up shop and I'm going to live here for free. And they're using your power probably and your well and, and everything else. It's a squatter. And all I'm just telling you this is that sometimes we as Christians allow the enemy to squat in our minds. Come on, they don't belong there. They, they, they don't own this up here. How many of you know that your thoughts and your mind belongs to the Lord? He has ownership, but we allow the enemy to come in and to rob and to set up shop and consume our thoughts when he has no place in being there. Why am I so anxious? Today I desire to help you find why you might be anxious and I'm going to ask you to bypass the natural thoughts of blaming somebody else or something else or an event. But I want to encourage you to look internally. How many parents are in here in the house this morning? Come on, you've got children, all the parents. How many happy parents are in the house? Less hands. No, no. <laughs> of course we're happy parents. We love our kids, right? I can tell you this, that I'm used to dealing with a lot of problems. A lot of times when the pastor gets called, it's because there's some sort of an issue. My heart races. I've been doing this for a long time, but when I get a call in the middle of the night, two or three o'clock in the morning, those are the worst. Because you think to yourself, man, there's nothing good that is happening. Young people, there's nothing good that happens after midnight. Let me just tell you that. Okay? And... Um, and so, uh, so, so I deal with a lot of problems, but you know, it's interesting whenever somebody is saying bad things about my children or, or somebody is out to get my children. Maybe there was a bully in school that were mistreating my children. I deal with problematic situations all the time, but I'm just telling you when it comes to my children, and I know you're the same, they get something completely different from me than what, what they would get in any other situation. And, and I, like my, my, the way I respond to that is child's play compared to Tina. Like if you, 
Like if somebody messes with her babies, it doesn't matter if they're 26 years old. They are hers, and I'm child's play. I feel sorry for the person that has to deal with her that's been messing with, you know, one of the kids or, or you know, in the future, grandkids. And uh, I just want you to know that if that's true about you, then think about how the Lord views and looks at you because he loves you so much more than we are ever even able to love our children. And so, so sometimes when bad things are happening, we can, we can feel all alone. But I want you to be reminded that if you love your kids that much, how much greater is God paying attention to you? This is why the psalmist said in verse 7, where can I go to escape your presence? I can't go anywhere. You're there because you love me. Your eye is upon me. So if that's the case, why are we anxious then? If we know for a fact that God is, is a God that will provide our every need, his eye is upon us, he'll never leave us nor forsake us, why are we anxious? Possibly we can be anxious because of our own sin and because of our own choices. Maybe our sin and our choices is the responsible party of our anxiety. Now listen, I'm not a doctor. Please, I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that there's no diagnosis for anxiety. I'm not saying that it can't be a physiological situation. It can, it can, it can. Some people need the medication for anxiety because maybe there's a chemical imbalance or something really big that is taken, all I'm saying is it's possible that the anxiety that you're dealing with could be self-inflicted. It could be because of poor decisions. It could be because of bad choices. It could be because of sin that we allow in our life. See, when the Bible says do not be anxious, I don't think it's saying that we should never feel anxiety. I think anxiety is a feeling and an emotion that God gives us, right? The Bible says, be anxious for nothing, but in all things through prayer and supplication, make your request be made known to God. I don't think that it's saying that, listen, if you, if you got any ounce of anxiety that somehow you're getting it wrong, I don't think it's saying that. What I think it's saying is people that live in a state of being anxious. You see, there are people when everything is just wonderful and there's flowers and butterflies and everything is sweet. There's a constant violin playing in the background. And you're, you know what I mean? Everything is wonderful. Some people are waiting for the boot to drop. They can't even enjoy the, the beauty of the moment because they're so anxious of the next bad thing that is coming. And I think that that's what this is talking about. Are people that set up shop and stay anxious. I remember the first time that I ever preached a message I was, I was visibly, like in the back road, Jerry, you could see sweat. I mean, tormented is really what it was. I'm preaching, I'm sweating. I could feel my, my lips quivering. Have you ever quivered so much that your lip, have you ever been so mad that all you can do is just shake? That's how I was when I was trying to deliver this message. Keeping... My thoughts in order, impossible. 
So I had been completely anxious during that time. That was my first man. I still get anxious every single time I come up to the stage. I still have this, this little flutter thing that goes on. Oh my gosh, here we go. And you know what? I think that that's probably a good thing. You know, that we shouldn't take certain things like giving the word, you know, so lightly. But, uh, but I don't think that that's what he's talking about. I think he's talking about people that live in that place. So I want to give you just a few lessons. We're, we're going to be done here shortly. I want you to write down these lessons. These are called Lessons from 139. Lessons from Psalm 139. Number one, when you feel anxious, check your consumption. When you feel anxious, check your consumption. Now listen, most of you know that I've had a little bit of a weight issue. Like I, 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 I can put weight on really simple, really easy. And it's very difficult for me to lose it. I can lose it, but it's very difficult. And so when I'm not feeling good about my size or my weight, the last thing that I should do is pray for it to go away. You might be thinking, that's probably a good place to start. Let me just tell you, it's not. Because I've done it. I have prayed my weight away, and it has not worked. The Lord's saying, why are you praying? Why don't you stop eating? That's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, I have given you a mind to use, and you're praying for a miracle. Stop eating. Step away from the cookies and the pie. Right? I literally, Lord, let me go to sleep. And Lord, I just pray that you would just shrink this area. Well, this area too. Uh, uh, these areas, shrink these babies down. Right? Guess what? Woke up, scale was the same. Didn't change a bit. You see, what I need to do is I need to check my consumption. Stop praying and check what it is that I'm, that I'm eating, lower my consumption. I've even tried to outwork my consumption. I have literally gone to the gym, worked out really hard, sweating, and then later on, I'm, you know, Tina's like, what do you want to eat? Do you want to eat a salad with black beans and pinto beans and chicken? And, and I'm like, no, a pizza. <laughs> she, she says... She says to me, I thought you were trying to lose weight. Well, did you see how long I was at the gym? <laughs> so I've even tried to outwork my consumption. That doesn't work. It does not work. You cannot outwork what it is that you consume. You could spend four hours in the gym. If you're eating uh, terribly, it's not going to show on the scale. So if this is true physically... Don't you think it's true emotionally as well? If it's true physically, like we've got to watch what we bring in, don't you think it's true emo uh, emotionally and spiritually as well? You see, we have one big problem that's really little in footprint. It's a big problem, but it's little in footprint. And it's the thing called the telephone. You see, one of the biggest issues that we have is whenever cell phones really became, you know what I mean, they became more than just being a beeper. Anybody remember a beeper? A pager? Anybody? <laughs> right? 
It became more than just a device that, that we, we used to communicate with people, right? It became more than all of that. I'm just telling you today that that phone fills us with undesirable and useless information. I believe that God did not create us to carry the weight of the world's problems, and there are some things that we should not know, like what you eat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I should not care about what you eat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It is crazy to me. There are these people out there that think that the rest of the world want to know, you know what I mean, what they're eating and what they're doing throughout the day. There's no reason why I should ever know when you're going to go into the restroom. I can just tell you that. But there are people that post about that stuff. I'm like, I did not need to know that. I didn't, it didn't do me any good whatsoever. And so, so we pray for peace, but there's no room for peace because our minds are filled with so much other information. He's with her this week who was with her last week. We overload. We have too many things going on and it causes us to turn to drinking, smoking, doping, and calf roping. Oh, wait a second. (laughs) I've been going to way too many rodeos recently. Anybody go out to the rodeos? Rupert, amen, I loved it. That was fun. Anybody go to the Burley Rodeo? That was awesome. Love this time of the year. Let me ask you a question. How successful can we really be when we come into a church service like this and we get 20 minutes of worship and we get a 30 to 40 minute message when we, when we are consumed with negativity the other 23 hours of the day potentially? How successful can we be if, 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 if our thoughts and we're feeling our mind and, 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 and our, our person with all of this garbage, how successful is an hour a week going to be for us? I want you to know this, that if you're tired and you want peace, you have to make space for peace in your life. You're going to harvest what you plant. You plant good things, you're going to get good things out, right? You know, when I was a youth pastor, one of the things that we would always talk to our young people about is garbage in, garbage out. And that was a way to keep them from listening to gangster rap music (laughs) or watching, you know, rated R movies or things. Hey, listen, garbage in, garbage out. How many of you know that that's true? But a lot of the times the church focuses on the garbage in and we don't focus enough on the good things in because the truth is is that you're going to reap what you sow. And a lot of the times the problem and the issue isn't necessarily the garbage. We're just not putting any of the good things in there as well. So good things in, good things out. At Grace, how many of you know that we spend a lot of money as a church body on on feeding malnutritioned kids. We've gotten set up with One Child Matters, and a large portion of that helps them to eat. Some of those kids, you know, may not eat, you know, regularly, and so by you sponsoring a child, it takes care of their, their, uh, their, their food, their clothes, their, their education, and so we deal with, with, with malnourishment a lot in some different countries. I'll have pastors that that will call up and, 
And uh, they'll call from, you know, Uganda and saying, listen, that we need, we're trying to send a kid to school. We don't have the money or we got a family. They don't have enough money for food. And so we'll send it. We'll just, we'll send them money. We will deal with malnourishment around the world. But don't you know this? That every single Sunday, there are people that come into this building that are spiritually dying because they're malnourished come on for some people they come into this place and the the last time that they opened their bible and they and they read the scripture was the sunday before whenever they saw it on the back screen here that's the that's the extent of the word of god that they're getting into their into their their being and into their families it used to be Come on, there used to be, and, and hopefully it still happens, but, but there used to be a lot of people that would gather around the, you know, the kitchen table and they would read a certain passage of Scripture and then they would talk about the, you know, what, what the Bible was trying to... You know, kids and every... What do you think about that? Oh, that's really good. I didn't... And so there's this consumption of the Word of God that is taking place that brings nourishment, spiritual nourishment to the body. Come on, what creates darkness in your heart? Come on, there's an old song that we used to sing. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Come on, the word of God is, it, it spiritually illuminates. And so if you find yourself in darkness and you're oppressed and, 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 and it, just, it just seems like you're all alone, maybe Possibly the best thing that you can do is feed your spirit with God's word and, and speed, uh, feed your soul with his, with his worship. The second thing I want to ask you is this. What are you pursuing? Like when I ask that question, some people are like, well, I'm really not pursuing anything. You know, when you're not pursuing anything, everything becomes critical and urgent. Do you know that? It's like, really, I'm, I'm just kind of living with no direction. I'm not really pursuing anything, and so therefore everything is critical and urgent. So you're saying yes to things that you should say no to, and you don't have time to say yes to things that you should say yes to because you don't have any direction in your life. Come on, have you ever met somebody that doesn't like you? Anybody ever met somebody? Anybody ever lose sleep because somebody doesn't, on, be honest, they, you lose sleep because they, they were mean to you or they don't like you? I'm going to be the first to raise my hand. I've lost sleep. Anybody honest here today? Okay. And so, so, you know, they don't like you and it's not that you shouldn't care, but whenever some people are just being mean, you really need to learn to say three words that are powerful like, I don't care. It's not that you don't care, but you need to learn to say three words like, I don't care. You know what? There are mean people that are just out to get you. It's true. Not everybody has your best interest in mind. And I remember, you know, I remember when somebody would come to me and they would say things like, you know, I don't like this or I don't like that. And, and they would allude to the fact that they're just not going to go to church here anymore or something along those lines. And I used to take it super personal, like lose sleep. Oh my gosh i got to give the squeaky wheel all the attention. And you know what? Today, somebody told me, like, they told me, listen, you need to approach that like, I don't care. Because this is the truth. Jesus had people 
come on, that didn't like him. And, and Jesus didn't give his full attention to every single person, come on, that was asking for it. He had the ability to understand. In fact, he said, you're either with me or you're against me. And I can tell you some people I've come to realize they're with you to the point that you tell them no for the first time, and then they're not with you anymore. You know why? Because they're unteachable. And the truth is, is people that are unteachable were never with you in the first place. So if they go, it's really not going to make a difference because sometimes people are just a part of what you've got going on for what it can bring into their life. They're not, they, they don't care about you at all. They're not in it for you. They're in it for what it's going to bring to them. If they were in it for the goodness of the whole group, they would trust you as some insight into their life and you having that difficult conversation when you say, no, we are not going to do it this way, they're not, going to, they're not going to give you attitude. They're not going to separate from you. Come on, they're going to line up and say, you know what, I trust you as a voice or a leader in my life. And so sometimes people aren't with you because they were never with you. They're, in it, they're with you if, as long as it's good for them. And so sometimes instead of losing sleep and losing all, that, all that, those good emotions and whatnot, you just need to learn to say, it's okay, I don't care. I've had people say, I don't like that church. Inside, I've never said it to a person, I would never say it to a person, but inside I'm thinking, you know what, I don't care. I've had people tell, you know, tell me, or I've heard through the grapevine, uh, I don't like the way that guy preaches. Uh, inside, never say it to their face, I don't care. I've had people say, I don't like the worship at that church, never say it to their face, but inside, I'm like, I don't care. Because this is the deal. There's no possible way that any single one of you people are ever going to please everybody. And whenever we start going down the road of trying to please every single person, we have missed it. What we need to do is stand before the Lord and say, God, is my, are my actions, are they pleasing to you? Come on, am I getting this right to you? Come on, is my heart in the right spot? Because if it's in the right spot, you are the one that builds the church. Come on, you're the one that's doing things in my life, and I can't do anything without you. And so instead of looking this way, looking at the faces, hey, Joe, did you like my message today? Tell me how good it was. Would you just tell me how good it was? You know what I mean? I need to be able to leave the, the, the service every single day saying, you know what? God's word went out, and his word promises that it will not return void, right? And, and, and I had the right heart in delivering the word, not saying that it was perfect, not saying that it could have been better, but I'm just saying that that listen, when you start pleasing people more than you're interested in pleasing God, you've already gone down the wrong road. <sighs> David is surrounded by his enemies. And I can almost hear the inner thoughts of David saying, I'm hearing things. I'm hearing all the bad things that my enemies are saying about me, but Lord, I need to quiet those, those voices so that I can hear the one voice that truly matters, and that is your voice. See, sometimes you can't hear what God wants to say to you because you're consumed with what everybody else 
is speaking. Number three is this. I've only got four, so we're almost done. Somebody say amen. Uncertainty will limit you. Uncertainty will limit you. When you're uncertain too long, it will create anxiety. Some of you cannot make decisions or you're in situations where you want to make a decision but you can't carry it out. Let me give you an example. I oversee a couple of pastors. I'm on their spiritual oversight council and it's a real it's a position of honor where where you know I can get a phone call at any time to help somebody going through something that maybe they haven't faced. A lot of times all it is is just let's pray about it. Let's get God's you know, it's not like I've got this incredible, you know, wisdom, but it's nice to have fellowship and relationship and to serve in that capacity with other pastors. And uh, there's one pastor that I have in mind that this guy has incredible vision, incredible, vi- like God has given him some incredible ideas to reach the community in which he serves. And, um, and he'll bounce some of these things off of me, and I'm like, man, that's, that's awesome, that's great. Um, not going into this a great deal, but he is a part of a church that is a board-ran church, meaning that they treat the pastor like an employee. I can just tell you this, I would never, unless the Lord just forced me, I would never pastor a board-ran church. Would not happen. Would not go there. I feel like if God's given me vision and direction for the church, I've got to have the liberty and the freedom to do. And then they make the financial decisions. If we can do it, that's fine. That's their deal. We've got to go where I feel God's calling us. Okay. Well, that's not the situation with one of my friends. He's in a board-ran church. And so I'll give you an example. He's wanting to paint a wall. And okay, great, comes up with this. We need to change the wall color. Goes, takes it to the board. Uh, after three board meetings later, they approve the changing of the wall color. They say, listen, go get bids on the paint. <laughs> bids on the paint. Go get bids on the paint. Or a part of the board will go get bids on the paint. And then we'll bring it back at, the, at another board meeting. And we will, we'll, you know, we'll see if we can, if we can afford it. And, and, and so six months passed from the time I had the conversation. And I remember, I'm like, hey, how's that wall color? Oh, we still haven't done it yet. It's still in process of the board. Now, Grace Church, we do things a little bit different. Not only will we paint a wall, we might, you might come into the church one day, and the whole wall's gone. Like, it is just... It's, wasn't there a wall here once? Or you just, you'll show up and say, wow, there's a hallway that goes over to the kitchen. I never saw that because it wasn't there before. We just made it that way. And I'm just so grateful that whenever we make decisions, we do what it is that we've decided to do. And it's not a long, drawn-out process of are you going to change, can we change, how much is it going to cost to change the paint? On the wall. That is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. But you know there's churches out there by the dozens that you can't do anything with 100% approval and getting, so nothing ever gets done. 
Nothing ever gets done. I just want to take this time and say, Lord, thank you for the board that we have here. The people. Man, oh man. Some of you, the best thing that you can do is leave today and this week make one big decision. Like that decision that has been haunting you for a year or a month. You're like, should I or shouldn't I? Can I just tell you, go and run with it. Make a huge decision today. Just leave today. Boy, I mean, you know what I'm talking about because you've been thinking about it for months. Go and make a decision. Set yourself free and make a decision today. If you get it wrong, say, I'm sorry. Just do it. 20 minutes in the closet wondering what you're going to wear for the day is a little much. A 30, or no, 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 back up. A 45-minute drive to Twin Falls with a carload of people trying to figure out where you're going to eat the whole ride over there. The The whole ride over there. Trying to figure out where you're going to eat, what you're going to eat, and then you're there, you're on Blue Lakes, and you still haven't made a decision. Somebody stop the madness and say, we're going to Chick-fil-A. That's where we're going. We're going to Chick-fil-A, and then we're going to go to Cold Stone, and then we're going to go to Dutch Brothers. Yeah. Not necessarily in that order. Some people, they're dating like, should I marry her? Should I marry him? Listen, you've been together six years, you should probably know. You should probably know. And if you have been engaged for five years, make a decision. Oh, this is my fiance. Oh, that is so sweet, man. When did he pop the question? Uh, Six years ago. Make a decision. Either marry her or don't. Sell the house or don't. Buy the car. (laughs) That's uh, That's our resident car salesman. This part of the service, this part of the service is sponsored by Jordan Torres. Uh. <laughs> Too funny. The last thing I want to share with you is this honor, honor. Live honorably, honorably before the Lord. It's hard to find peace in your heart when you're hiding secrets in that same place. Let me say that again because it's really good. I'm going to make some people super uncomfortable right now. That's okay. I'm helping you. It's hard to find peace in your heart when you've got secrets that are in that same place, occupying the same place which is in your heart. You know, we do some marriage counseling, and we're not counselors, so I don't even like using that word. We meet with people that are... That are um, that are sometimes struggling in the area of marriage and we just try to help them, pray with them, share the word with them, share life experience with them. Um, 
you, you know, it, it, it is amazing to me how many husbands and wives are not allowed to get on their spouse's telephone. Like it's, a, it's off limits. It's password protected. It is, and, and the, the spouse, if one of them is messing with the phone, there is an urgency to get them off of the phone. Let me just ask you a question, just real quick. <clears throat> Why do you think that is? Let, let me just talk about the elephant in the room. If that is an issue, there is something on that phone that they don't want you to see. Period. There's a multi-million dollar uh, uh, business in creating applications that pose to be one thing, but they are secretly something else. It's like, oh, what is this app? Oh, no, that's a, that's a video editing uh, application so that I can make cool videos for Instagram or Snapchat. Why do you think that there would be a multi-million dollar industry for people creating applications on their phone that pose to be something they're not? See, it says it's a video uh, application, but what it is is secret communication to where you can have conversation and send pictures that you shouldn't be sending. My question is this, why do you think that's a multi-million dollar business? It's in high demand. Because there's a lot of people that are having conversations in secret that they shouldn't be having. So when you're praying for peace in your heart, but you've got secrets in that same place, it's foolish to think that God is going to give you some sort of a miraculous feeling of peace whenever you are inviting your being to live in the darkness. Listen, I'm sharing this with you not to make anybody feel bad. There's zero condemnation in this place. If this is an issue that you have, the Lord is shining light on this issue so that you can do something with it. I'm telling you as a person that has lived with secrets in my past, it's so much more freeing, come on, to go to bed at night knowing that everything is above board. You're not perfect, I'm not perfect, but I'm sharing this so that you can get rid of that garbage, get rid of the communication, the conversation, because you think it's what you need. It's the very thing that is going to kill you and destroy the things that are important in your life, like your wife and your husband and your children and your family. Amen? Listen, if you've got to hide something from somebody, then that's a pretty good indication you shouldn't be doing it in the first place. If you can't go to your family and say, this is what I'm doing, then that's a pretty good indication that you're ashamed of what you're doing. That's a lot better than what I'm getting. I'm just telling you. Uh, when you can't be you... You can't keep up with yourself. See, we are so busy trying to be so many different things. There's, a, there's the me, me at church, and then there's the me, me at work, 
And then there's a me, me when I'm with this group of friends. And then there's a me, me when I'm with that group of friends. Let me just ask you a question. Are there some things that you do with some groups of people that you don't do with other groups of people? Like when you're with this group of people, you're like, hey, everybody, we're getting ready to have this meal here today. Can we just, can we just bow our heads and, and say grace and give God some thanks for for this day and these relationships and this food that we're about to eat. And we, we all grab hands around the table, say a beautiful prayer. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for these friends and these people. God, this is great fellowship. And thank you for the food that we've got in abundance. Bless it for our body in Jesus' name. Everybody says amen. You enjoy a great meal. But then you're with that other group around the same dinner table. And you just go right to eating. Why? Because, well, I just don't know how they're going to, you know what, they really don't know that side of me. Should there be sides of you? That's what I'm saying. Whenever you have so many sides of you, you get confused as to who you are. How about just be you? Just be you. It doesn't matter if you're with that group or this group or, or those people or these people. Just be you. In closing, I just want you to know that God wants you to replace your worry with a dream. In fact, I love it. Some people, where's Tyson? Is Tyson here today? Tyson's up in the balcony. I love Tyson. doesn't matter if it's Wednesday night or if it's Sunday morning. Tyson's a worshiper. And somebody might come into this place and think, man, why is that guy all animated? Who's he trying to? What is he? He's trying to get attention. Does he really have to be right up front where everybody can see him? Like guys, somebody go shake his hand or tell him everything's going to be all right. He needs some attention. But the truth is, is what you don't know about Tyson is in Tyson's past, maybe there was a lot of worry. Maybe there was a lot of issues. Maybe there was a lot of uncertainty. But then all of a sudden, he finds Jesus Christ. And Jesus begins to do what Jesus says he will do with a surrendered life. And that is, he'll set you free. So now when Tyson comes in, he doesn't care if, there, if there's two people in here or 200 people in here. He's going to be worshiping. And he's not afraid of where he's worshiping. He's not afraid of, he's not afraid of who's going to be, you know, what people are going to think about his worship. Because his worship is not surface level, is worship comes from a deep-rooted place of appreciation of what it is that God has done and what God is doing in his life. And so all that Tyson can do is just say, I don't care, man, I'm here to worship the Lord. I'm here to praise the Lord. I'm here to maybe do a little dance or something like that. But I'm telling you this, that whenever you've been delivered from fear and you step into a realm of faith, come on in, it increases your worship. Matter of fact, let me just say it like this. This isn't in my notes, but the truth is, is you might not be able to worship because you're too focused on I or you're too focused on me. Not me, but you saying me. I'm too focused on me. That's why I can't worship. In fact, if you'll take a look at the word anxiety or even anxious, what you will find is an I right in the center. And so I'm not, I'm not a doctor, and I'm not saying there's other reasons why people can't be anxious and things that need to be um, looked at. Come on, doctor. We got a doctor. If you, he'll be able to tell you if it's spiritual in nature or if it's something that we need to 
you know, we need to get some, get some deeper looking into. But all I'm saying, it is possible that your anxiety is because you're thinking about yourself too much. You see, being a part of a church body, this is the beautiful thing. And being a worshiper, it's a beautiful thing because you can't worship God when you're focused on yourself. In fact, I will say this. This is sometimes why. I'm not blanket state, uh, making blanket statements, but sometimes the reason why people can't worship or don't understand worship is for that same reason because the I is too strong. It's all about me. And God wants to bring you into the body of Christ so that you cannot focus on the I in the middle of anxiety, but you can focus on him and his business, which is his church. This is the same thing in worship. It's the same thing when people make the decision, you know what, I've been going to church for a long time, I've never done anything, I've never served, I've really, I've just kind of come, and it's about me, it's about the I. What can I get? How is this going to benefit me? But there's a shift that takes place when you get rid of the I and you really get involved and invested in God's church and say, listen, it's not about I or what I can get. It's about what I can give and how I can serve. That's a game changer. Amen? That's it for today's teaching. Hey, here's an idea. Share today's message with a friend or family member. If you're listening from outside our fellowship, we'd love to meet you. Visit graceid.org and hit the contact form to get in touch. We'd also love for you to join us. Services are Sundays at 845 and 11 a.m., as well as our Wednesday evening service at 6.30 p.m. You can even check us out on Facebook Live by searching Facebook for Grace Church Rupert ID. Learn more and plug in at graceid.org. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Grace Community Church.